A guy named, by the name of Jack Grapple spoke at Willow Creek's Leadership Summit a few years ago, and he talked about uh, how he has a, a, a special training camp uh, for teams down in Florida, in the swamplands of Florida. And he uh, had a group of NFL linebackers come down to Florida and to take part in this team building exercise and, and uh, addressing things like fear. And he uh, had these linebackers had to run to the perimeter of the, of the compound where they were. And they had to, it was either tie a, a ribbon on a fence or they had to retrieve a ribbon from a fence or something like that. And so they had to run, uh, run out there. And the thing that they were told was that a wild boar had been spotted that morning. And he went on to explain the dangers of a wild boar. They're very large. They're very dangerous. They can stampede and stomp you, and, and, and they're very dangerous. So he, uh, he tells these linebackers that this wild boar had been spotted. Of course, there's no wild boar, but they had positioned a cameraman to kind of videotape what's going on. And then when they got close, he'd kind of make some rustling in the bushes like a wild boar. So the linebackers, you know, head out to go get their ribbons. You know, they're running through the, the swamp plants and everything. They get by the cameraman. He starts to rustle and, and make wild boar sounds, whatever wild boar sounds like. I'm not really sure. But he starts making the sounds. And like little girly men, they just start screaming. And, you know, and they, I mean, ah! and they turn around and run away. A couple weeks later, he had a group of CIA operatives do the same thing. Told them about the wild boar, positioned the cameraman. CIA operatives head out for the fence, head out for the perimeter, and they're, they're running through the swamplands. All of a sudden, they hear the sound. And the CIA operatives, instead of jumping up and running away, got into combat position, ready to fight. When it comes to doing battle with the enemy, when it comes to defeating our enemy, the question I have is, are we going to run away at, at when we are attacked, when we are, are, are met with the enemy, when we meet the enemy head on? Are we going to turn and run, or are we going to get into combat position? Are we going to fight? See, that's the question, and that's a hard question to answer because we have a formidable opponent. We have a formidable enemy, one who seeks to destroy. Like I said uh, the last couple of weeks, the Bible says that he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour, like a roaring lion. He is dangerous. He is very dangerous. And, and we're talking about this month, we're talking all about knowing our enemy and who our enemy is. We talked a couple of weeks ago about who our enemy is, and our enemy is the devil. It's Satan. He is our enemy. We talked about who our enemy is not. Our enemy is not one another. Our enemy is not people. We are not each other's enemy. We are on the same side. We are in battle with one another. Together, we are in battle. We talked last week about the tactics that the enemy uses, how the enemy will seek to divide and conquer, how the enemy will lie, how the enemy will scheme. We talked about the tactics so that we would recognize when the enemy is working, when the enemy is doing what the enemy does, so that we're not taken aback by it. Today we are talking about how to defeat our enemy, and we're going to look at a passage from Ephesians chapter 6 called the Armor of God. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to talk about this battle plan. There are four parts. There's, there's three parts in your bulletin, but I came up with the fourth one. There are four parts to this battle plan. Three of them I want you to, to write down as we go through it, but the fourth one I want you to really listen and pay attention to because it's very, very important. We're talking about the battle plan for defeating our enemy. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. We'll read that in just a moment. The book of Ephesians is a letter written to the, the churches in the area around Ephesus. It was kind of what they call a circular letter. It, it wasn't just a, to one specific church. It was kind of made its way around uh, the different churches in Ephesus. Ephesus was a major important city. And so this letter goes out. Paul is writing to the, the Ephesians. And the first half of the book is very theological. It's very up here. Uh, it's, it's creating an argument. And it's very, very theological. The second half of the book is very practical. In the first half of the book, he sets up an argument for faith and why we should believe. The second half of the book is all about the practical side of now that we believe, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live, as he says, as children of light? So like I said, the first half, very theoretical, very theological. Second half, very practical, very pragmatic. And we get to Ephesians chapter 6, and we learn, there's all kinds of things to learn along the way, how to deal with being a family, you know, how husbands should treat their wives, how wives should respect their husbands, how children should obey their parents. He talks about slaves and masters, which I think kind of corresponds to employers and employees today, it's just my opinion. And then we get to chapter 6, and we get to the armor of God. And I want to read this here from chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints." The first phase, the first uh, part of the battle plan is, is all about standing. And when I think about this, I think about a scene from the movie Braveheart. Any of you like the movie Braveheart? Oh, yeah. Manly movie, Braveheart. Mel Gibson. Well, you know, the whole movie is about the, the Scottish uh, quest for, for what? Freedom! Right? It's all about this quest for freedom from the, from the British. And, and there's battles through. In the Battle of Stirling Bridge, though, one of the highlights of the movie, the Battle of Stirling Bridge, you've got the, the English over here. Send the horses. So he tells the guys, send, send the horses. And so the horses start, at a, at, you know, the guys get out of the way and the horses start to move towards. And then you've got William Wallace and the, and the Scottish over here. And uh, they start to see the horses coming. William Wallace says, steady. The horses are coming. They start to move faster. If I had coconuts. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you very much. They're getting closer. William Wallace says, hold. The horses are even closer. Now it's a trot. A little faster. The horses are trotting. Wallace says, hold. 
The horses are just about on top of him. Now it's a full-out gallop. They're coming as fast as they can. They're coming and coming and coming. And Wallace, what does he say? He says, hold! The fear in the faces of the Scots. The fear in the faces of the Scottish army. This ragtag band of soldiers is so intense. They're terrified as they see this army just approaching and coming faster and faster and faster. And and just one word comes out of Wallace's mouth over and over. Hold! He's saying, stand firm. Stand your ground. Stand. Don't run away. Don't don't tuck your tails and, and retreat. He had a plan. There was a battle plan. I'll spare you the details because it gets kind of gross, but but he had a plan, and he says, stand firm, hold your ground, stand, hold. I believe that Paul tells us the same thing there in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, he uses the word hold, or, or he uses the word stand, stand firm, four times. He says, stand your ground, stand firm, stand, and stand. Four times he uses the word stand. Stand firm. That is the first blank on your outline. The first phase of the battle plan, the first part of the battle plan is to stand firm. You see, when the enemy comes calling, when the enemy comes to attack, it is so tempting to just turn tail and run or give up and just say, okay, whatever. Give in to temptation. Give in to doubt. Give in to fear. I, I, I have no recourse. I'm not going to fight. I just willingly surrender. Or run away the other way. And, just, and, and, and that's not what we're called to do. We are called to stand firm. In order to stand firm, though, we have to trust in our armor. We have to trust in each other. We have to trust in the battle plan. We have to trust in our commanding officer. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross and he rose again, he won the war. The war is over. I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, of stories out of World War II where the, the victory had been declared, yet there was still fighting going on in places. The war was won, but there were still battles to be fought. Same thing goes in our lives as Christians. The war is over. Jesus won the war, but there are still battles to be fought. There are still battles that we are fighting to this day. The war is over, but the battles rage on. And until Christ returns... We have to stand firm. We have to stand firm in the face of tests, in the face of trials, in the face of, in the face of tribulations, in the face of temptations. We've got to stand firm, stand our ground. We've got to trust in the armor that God has given us. And we'll get into that in just a second. We have to trust in our commanding officer that he will give us the power. He will give us the strength. That because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he has made it possible for us to find salvation. And we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He has given us a plan of salvation that we are to follow. We believe, we repent, we confess, we're baptized, we go on to live a new life filled with God's Holy Spirit. We have the very Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. The very power that spoke the universe into being is within us. We have the power to stand firm. We have the power to stand our ground. We don't have to run away. We have to trust in our commanding officer. That he will give us the power, he will give us the strength to stand up to trial, to stand up to tests, to stand up to, stand up to temptation. We can do it. Not because of the power that's within us. Because compared to the enemy, we're very powerless. 
But it's the one dwelling inside of us. It is the one within us who can give us the power to stand firm, who can give us the power to stand our ground. And he's given us his spirit, and he has given us some armor. The second part of the battle plan, the second strategy is to be prepared, to get ready. We've got to get ready. And how do we get ready? We put on the armor of God. There are six pieces of the armor of God. We're going to go through these pretty quick, but I want you to, underneath number two, get ready, write these down. Number one, the first part of the armor of God is the belt of truth. Now, why do you wear a belt? Keep your pants up, right? They didn't wear pants in those days. So we can skip that one, right? It was just kind of an error on Paul's part. No, the belt in those days had a different purpose than just keeping your pants up. They wore tunics. It was kind of like a rectangular piece of cloth that they'd cut out holes in, and you'd put those on. And if you've got this big billowy tent-type thing all around you, it's kind of hard to run and engage in battle, which was hand-to-hand combat for the most part. So you'd be fighting with you know, another soldier with your sword and your shield and, and whatnot, and you've got this big old thing flopping off. Flopping all around. I, I've never worn a dress that I know of <laughs> that I can remember. But I imagine it'd be kind of hard to fight a battle in a dress. I, I could be wrong. They may be the most comfortable thing in the world. I, I don't know. It may be totally designed for battle, but I know that Paul tells them to put on this belt of truth. And what they would do is they take this leather strap of, of belt and they would cinch up their tunic. They would get it all nice and tight against their body so it wasn't flopping all around when they're running into battle. And it's the belt of truth that that cinches everything up. And we have to know the truth to cinch up, to cinch everything up, to hold everything together. We've got to know the truth. We've got to know that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We've got to know that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Oh, that's politically incorrect. I can't say that. Yes, you can, because it's the truth. It is the truth of the Word of God. We have to know the truth. We've got to have that belt of truth so that everything is cinched up, everything is held together, and we won't have all this flopping around business. So we've got the belt of truth. second thing we have is the breastplate of righteousness. I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture for you. Now, the breastplate of righteousness uh, was a, a one piece uh, either made of really heavy leather or heavy linen, or even metal, fastened, molded metal that would go around here, and it would protect your vital organs. It would protect the heart, the lungs, the intestines. The breastplate of righteousness was very important because it guarded the most important organ, which is the heart. It would protect your heart. How does righteousness protect our hearts? Listen to this. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There are two definitions of righteousness. The first is being declared right with God. It's being declared okay with God. God says, You are right with me. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You accept His offer of salvation by grace through faith. You are saved by God's grace. And He says, You are right with me. You and me, we're good. We're okay. Not because of any great thing you've done, not because you can earn your salvation, not because you can buy your salvation. It's because it's a gift from me to you. You accept that gift, and we are right. The second definition of righteousness is doing the right thing. And that's what, is, that's what Paul has in mind here. 
in this breastplate of righteousness is doing the right thing, created to be like God in true holiness and righteousness, doing the right things, obeying Jesus' commands. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. You will live this life of righteousness. You will do what I have told you to do, what I have commanded you to do. We have the shoes of peace. The shoes of peace are very important because uh, in those days, the ground was really rocky. They didn't have nice you know, paved roads like we have today. <laughs> what nice paved road down Broad Street? Never mind. Um, that you had to have good shoes on or your feet would get all messed up. They'd get cut and dirty and infected. So you had to have good shoes on. In, in uh, Romans 10, 15, it says, it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a quote from Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The shoes of the gospel of peace are designed to, as we, run, as we are running this race, as we are running into battle, we are bringing a message of peace. That message of peace is about peace with God. It's about having peace with God. The Bible says that in, in uh, the Bible says that we were once considered enemies of God because of our sinful behavior. We were enemies of God because of our sinful behavior. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and has forgiven us our sins, now we can have peace with God. We can have real peace with God. Whereas we were once counted enemies, now we are counted friends. That message of reconciliation, that message of peace, is what we are to have on our feet. That everywhere we go, we are telling people how to have peace with God. We are telling people how to have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Those shoes get us there. Next, we have the shield of faith. The shield of faith helps us in our times of doubt. It was a large piece of wood that was covered in leather, and they would soak the leather and they would get it wet. And, and the leather holds water really well, I guess. Anyway, leather holds water really well. And what they would do is when the opposing army, army would shoot arrows, they'd set the arrows on fire, they'd, they'd coat the arrows, and then they would shoot the flaming arrows. And what would happen is when they hit the wooden shield, of course, a flaming arrow is going to you know, catch the wooden shield on fire unless you have wet leather on top. And that would extinguish the arrows as they landed on the shield. Your shield of faith, when they... It is so important to have, to have faith and, and to not doubt. I mean, there are times in our lives when we do doubt. There are days in our lives when we really do doubt and we wonder, does God love me? Does God care for me? Is God going to take care of me? Is God going to provide for my needs? And the enemy doesn't help. The enemy fuels those doubts. The enemy comes to us and says, is God really going to take care of you? Is God really going to provide for your needs? Does God really love you? Does God really care about you? Does God, is God going to provide? Is God going to come through? How do you know that God even exists? How do you know that Jesus Christ was real? How do you know that he really died on the cross for your sins? How do you know that all your sins are forgiven? And he whispers these lies and these doubts into our ears and we start to go, oh, I wonder. Those are the flaming lies, the flaming arrows coming at us over and over and over again. And we've got to have that shield of faith in place. The shield was, a, we're not talking like this little round shield. We're talking about a big full body shield that they would hide behind. So when the arrows came, they would be extinguished. And you wouldn't go down. So we've got to have a shield of faith. We need that faith, that, that true faith. 
And sometimes you just got to take things on faith, don't you? You just got to trust and believe. I don't know, but I know. I don't know, but I know. God has come through before. God has provided before. I have seen the evidence of God in my life before. And it feeds my faith now. It fuels my faith now. And it's going to get me through this time of doubt. So we have the the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith. Next we have the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? Protects your head. Protects the dome. Keeps your brain in your skull. They had heavy swords in those days and they'd come down on top of your head. If you didn't have a good helmet on, they'd split your head wide open. Why is it important to have a helmet of salvation over your head? Because faith is not just a feeling. There is a knowledge that comes too. You've got to know that you are saved. You've got to know how to be saved. You've gotta, it can't be just a, a fickle feeling because feelings can be fickle. I don't feel saved. I don't feel like God loves me. But see, when I read the Bible, when I read the Word of God, I read about how God does love me, how God has saved me. And I know that I am free. And I know that I am forgiven. That my salvation is not just in my heart. My salvation is in my head. I understand. I know. Sometimes I get too much in my head and not enough in my heart. Sometimes I get too much in my heart and not in my head. I've got to have a good balance between my heart and my head when it comes to knowing God's salvation. Finally, we have the, the sword of the Spirit, and the Bible tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon we have. Everything else is for defense. Our shield protects our head. Our breastplate protects our heart. The belt cinches things up. The shield protects us from the flaming arrows. But the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is our weapon. How do I know this? Because when Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He quoted Scripture to the devil. He went on the offensive. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is offensive in two ways. One, it fights for us against the enemy. And two, it offends people. It really does. You don't believe me? Take a Bible to work tomorrow and put it on your desk. What is that? What are you, some kind of Jesus freak? What are you? What's the matter with you? This is a place of business. Haven't you ever heard of separation of church and state? What do you got that Bible on your desk for? I think I'm going to sue you. I read a story. Somebody sent me a story. (laughs) There's a lady who advertised at church. She put up an advertisement at church that says, looking for a Christian roommate. She's being sued for discrimination. She put it up at church, and because she asked for a Christian roommate, it is a a, a violation of federal law to ask for a Christian roommate because then other people of other religious beliefs can't apply to be her roommate. Our world has gone nuts. Christianity is offensive. The Bible is offensive. What are we going to do about it? You know what we're going to do about it? We're going to stand on the Word of God. We are going to put our we are going to hold up the Word of Truth and say, This is truth. This is the Word of God. We're not going to back down. We're not going to retreat. We're not going to cower. We're not going to whimper and whine as we run away. 
we're going to stand up and say, this is God's word. This may offend you, but that is too bad. Which is worse, being offended in this life or burning in hell for the next? I will offend anyone that I have to, to defend that word. I'll offend you in love, but you may be offended. Our church, First Christian Church, will preach the word week in and week out. The sermons you will hear from this stage will be from the Bible. Not preaching from somebody else's book, not preaching psychology, not preaching uh, positive thinking. I'm preaching God's word. And that's the way it's going to be at First Christian Church. As long as I'm the minister here. As long as I'm the preacher, that's the way it's going to be. So we got the armor. We got ready. Last thing we do is pray. We have got to be a people of prayer. We have got to be a people of prayer. The final strategy is to pray. Pray on all occasions. Pray in all circumstances. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a praying church. We have got to pray, my friends. We have got to pray. We have got to kick down the gates of hell through the power of prayer. We do not make God our master. God is not our, uh, he is not our, our genie in the lamp when it comes to prayer. But we are told we are commanded to pray and to pray again and to pray on all circumstances, to pray on all occasions. Too many times we throw up our hands going, what am I going to do? And the last thing that comes to mind is prayer. We'll say that. We'll say, you know, well, everything else has failed, so I guess we'll pray. No, we pray first. We pray through. We pray at the end. We pray. We have got to be a people of prayer. We pray with one another. We pray for each other. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our church. We pray for our country. We pray for our world. We have got to be a people of prayer. I can't say it enough. I can't emphasize it enough. We have got to pray. The last part of the battle plan is that we fight together. Not fight with each other. We fight together. We have got to work together. We have got to fight together. It's not just me and God, it's you and me and God. It's all of us in this together. You know, the one thing about that scene from Braveheart is that they're all together. They're in a great big line in a great big bunch. They are there together. Not one person turns and runs. They all stand firm together. And we have got to stand firm together. You need me and I need you. We need one another to build each other up, to encourage one another, to love one another, to pray for one another, and to get each other through the battles. That is what we have got to do. It's kind of like the three musketeers. All for one and one for all. We are all fighting for the one, Jesus Christ, and he is keeping us all together. We are all for each other. It's not, you're not a lone ranger. The Bible never talks about a lone ranger Christian. I am not a rock. I am not an island. Simon and Garfunkel reference, thank you very much. Thank you. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We are a family. We are a church. We are a, a battalion. We are an army. When was the last time you felt like an army? You, we are an army. We have the power of God. We have more firepower at our disposal through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit than all of the armies, than all of the nuclear arsenals on the planet. We have the power given to us by God. And we got to use it. We got to stand together and we got to fight together. And our enemy will be defeated.
Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us the battle plan. That you would remind us that you have given us spiritual armor. That you would remind us that you have given us real power through the Holy Spirit. That you would remind us that we are together in this. And that there is strength in numbers. And that there, as the army of Christ, there is nothing that we cannot accomplish to, to kick down the gates of hell. Father God, we know that you have won the war. And I pray that you would give us victory in the battles. Thank you for your word that tells us the battle plan. And I pray that you would make us people of prayer and, and people of the word, that we would not neglect the word, that we would not neglect prayer, and that through the prayers of your people and through the power of your word and the power of your spirit, the Lord, we would win the battles of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.